Well, good morning. It's great to be here today in person and those of you watching online. Thanks for joining us. We've been several weeks through, actually months, in the book of 1 Samuel, walking through a series called Cultivating a Heart for God. Looking at the life of David and Saul and Samuel and looking at how can we as a church be cultivating a heart for God. A key verse that we've been looking at and repeating to revisit is 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the hearts. We see that God is deeply concerned about your hearts and my hearts. And we know that as Jesus came onto this earth and as he taught, he raised the bar at a higher level for those who want to be followers of Jesus. Remember as he taught on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, if any of you even looks at a woman with lust in his eyes, you've committed adultery in your what? Hearts. He said, you've heard it said that if, do not commit murder. But I tell you, if anyone has anger in their heart towards someone, they have committed murder in their what? Hearts. That's right. And Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart does the mouth speak. See, God is extremely concerned about our hearts because our hearts represent who we are. And out of our hearts is how we live and how we act. And God judges us upon our hearts. And uh, that's what we are continuing to look at, at how we can be people that are cultivating a heart that is for God and not for ourselves. Last week, Adam brought us through 1 Samuel 22 and, and then looked at Psalm 142, a psalm of David, on what happens when we are spiritually disoriented, how to reorient ourselves spiritually. Because we saw Saul, how how he was so spiritually disoriented. But we look at David, and David, the contrast, and David acknowledged the situation in which he lived. He see the true source of salvation and remembering the truth and then giving praise to the Father. And that's what we looked at last week. This week, we're going to be looking at cultivating a heart for God and that heart that handles success. How does a heart handle success? And we're going to be looking at David's life. David was a man who was quite successful right from the beginning, even as a little shepherd boy. He was anointed as king, just as a shepherd boy. He was very successful in that, in that even as a little shepherd boy, he defeated Goliath. Remember the story, right? What amazing success. Nobody else would go out in front to fight this giant, but David, the shepherd boy, did that. We saw how he escaped from Saul's jealous and jealousy, trying to kill um, David in the courts. We see men gather around David, and David begins to see a band of brothers follow him around, and they say, you will be our commander, and they followed him into the wilderness as he ran from Saul. And then we see David even save a city from the Philistines and they were being attacked and David inquired of the Lord and said, God, should we go and protect the city of Keilah? And God said, yes, go ahead, you will have victory. And he went and had victory. And so more and more people were beginning to follow 
David. David was a man of great success. He was a man that God had put his hand and favor upon David. And David um, was a man that we see handle success well. And today we're going to look at four virtues that we see just in chapters 24 and 26 of Samuel. 1 Samuel, that is. And that those four, four things that a heart of success needs to be rooted in mercy and humility and trust and love. We're going to look at those today. But um, those four virtues, as we know, have um, an opposite side. They have an enemy, right? I don't know if you've ever noticed this house. In, you guys, anybody notice this house? Right? This house is actually in Telford, right? I've always driven by this house. I've always like, I can't imagine the first guy that said, you know what? I hate brick. I can't stand that my neighbor has brick. I'm going to cover the complete side with siding. I'm going to do the shingles differently. I'm going to do the window differently. And I'm going to be completely different than the, the second half of our house that we live in. I, I've always driven by this for years and thought, wow. What was the relationship between these two neighbors, I wonder, right? Uh, were they enemies? Do they fight? You know, I, I don't know. Maybe someone who's lived in Telford longer than I have knows the, the behind-the-scenes sto story of this, but I would love to hear it. But I've always thought, wow, what a peculiar thought, like uh, opposites, right? Opposite sides. You know, I, I live at this address, but I live on the side with the, ha with the uh, siding, right? Or I live on the brick side of, of the house. But... The virtues that we see are kind of like this house. There's an opposite side to the virtues of, of mercy. What's the opposite of mercy? To take a revenge, right? What's the opposite of humility? Pride. What's the opposite of trust? Distrust. Fear. Doubt, right? And then love. What's the opposite of love? Hate, right? We're going to be looking at those four things today. So if you would bow with me in a word of prayer, and we're going to dive into the scriptures this morning of 1 Samuel 24 and 26. Lord, we come before you today grateful for the privilege we have to worship you, our King. We're so thankful that you are a God who is full of mercy, full of humility, Lord, full of love. And God, we come before you, Lord, wanting to have a heart for you. And today we recognize that there's been things, even maybe this morning or this weekend, where our heart has not followed you. And Lord, we confess those right now for having wayward hearts, hearts that are quick to follow after things of this world, our own fleshly desires of serving ourselves. And Lord, we want to lay that down before you today. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to us today in your scriptures, through your scripture. And Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, in spite of me, and... Lord, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so 
In your pew Bible, you can turn there to page 209 if you don't have a Bible on your phone or a hard copy of the scriptures. But we are looking at 1 Samuel 24 and 27. And we see the first virtue in David's life is that of mercy. And here we have a great story where we begin to see as, as David has experienced success, we often know if someone is able to handle success, often is when they are losing, right? How good of a loser are they um, after winning, right? Are they a good loser or are they a poor loser? And we see David begin to experience some pressure, some trials that come into his life, unfair persecutions. And this is where we begin to see someone's character, when they, not when they always experience success, but when they begin to experience hardship and trials. And David is beginning to experience some severe attacks by King Saul we have. So follow along with me. It says, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Isn't that great? The Bible just talks about everything, right? We all do it, right? David and his men were far back in the cave. Remember Adam talked about last night, these, this cave was humongous, that he could fit hundreds of men inside of this cave. And so the men were way back in this monstrous cave. And uh, the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with you as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken. For having cut off a corner of his robe, he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Wow. Wow. The fact that here is a man that's been pursuing David, trying to kill him, has thrown his spear at him, has, has, has chased him down like a dog, and here he comes right into the cave. I can't imagine. As you're hiding out, and all of a sudden, your number one enemy comes in and is in the most prone position a man could be, and there it is. His men are telling him, this is the opportunity God has given you. This is the circumstance that God has brought him and given you into his hands. And David begins to sneak up. And I can just imagine in the midst of it, as he pulls out his knife, he's like, no, I can't take his life. His conscience takes over him. David had a very sensitive conscience to the heart of God. And he cuts off a piece of Saul's robe and does not take his life. And even after taking a, just a cut off his robe, he's conscience-stricken and feels guilty for even doing that, for disrespecting the anointed king. David was merciful to Saul. David was a man after God's own heart, and he realized that Saul was still the one on the, on the throne, that it was not David's time yet that God would take care of Saul when it was God's time. And we see that um, oftentimes the opposite of mercy is revenge. 
There's great pressure to do so when someone is being attacked like David was. His, his friends saw it as an opportunity. And David saw it as an opportunity as well. But they saw it from two different perspectives. David saw it as an opportunity to show mercy. And his friends saw it as an opportunity to avenge himself. David had the heart of God in this perspective. David's, David may have been Saul's enemy, but Saul was not Dave, David's enemy in this moment. Oh, that we would have such a conscience as David that would be so stricken over just a simple thing of cutting someone's robe when his friends told him, kill him. And David understood that, that was, he had crossed the line just with cutting his robe. David honored the king, even though the king was out of the will of God, chasing him down to kill him. It's a crazy thought to think about. A king who was out of his mind, who was running out of fear, who was chasing out after fear, who was chasing after jealousy, and yet David shows mercy to Saul. We see this as Jesus taught this, and Paul wrote this in, in Romans 12. We see up there on the screen. He's, he wrote, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. If in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What enemies do you have in your life today? Are there people that come to mind? How does Jesus want you to treat them today? Well, second virtue that we see in this story is that of humility. Going on in, in chapter 24 here, we see, Then David went out to the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Can you imagine coming out of the cave after the man that you've given up to chase after was in the very place where you were relieving yourself? This day you have seen that he said, he said to Saul, Why did you listen? Why did you listen when men say, David has been on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands into the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hands. You see, 
David had a place, posture of humility, that he recognized that he was not the judge, but that God was the judge. But it's fascinating to me, if you think about it, David, David was a warrior. He had taken many men's lives up to this point. What was it about David that thought, I cannot take this man's life? What was it about David that thought, you know, this is the guy that's been chasing after me, has been telling lies about me, and yet I should not take this man's life. Well, it's clear. David says, because he's anointed one. He's the Lord's. And I cannot stand in the way of what, Lord, what the Lord has set in place over me. David recognized in humility that God was the judge. He recognized his place. The enemy of pride would have said, you know what? This is not fair. This is my opportunity. I've taken many men's lives who fought against me before. This man is fighting against me. He could easily have rationalized it away. But David took a place of not judging and letting God be the judge in this. Jesus taught this as well. He says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others. You will, not, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eyes and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, God is very concerned about our hearts, and he's very concerned about us submitting to his life and recognizing what we have between him and I, what we need to deal with first. But being in a trial like David is can be extremely difficult to say, okay, I'll let God be the judge in this. This is unfair how I'm being treated. And if you're today suffering in the midst of a trial, if you're being mistreated, I want to encourage you to entrust yourself to the one who judges justly, just as Jesus did. And 1 Peter says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. You see, those who follow Jesus, their, their Lord, their Savior, is one who suffered and was unjustly treated as well. And he calls us to follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, as it goes on to say, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds, you have been healed. Today, if you are in a place of being unfairly mistreated, you are in a place with your Savior. Your Savior calls all of us to come to a place of suffering and die, as he did. The third thing that we see of a heart of success is that of one of trust. Continuing on, another scenario where David again spares the life of Saul, where, where Saul comes into a place where, where he's tempted and able to take the life of Saul again, and yet spares his life. Chapter 26, 
we see that, and we'll, we'll see, let's start here in, uh, let's see, verse um, 7. So they're in a camp, and Saul's, Saul's army is around him in a camp, and, and David and Abishai realize that Saul is right down below them in a camp, sleeping at night. And so David says, who will go with me in this camp? Verse 6. I'll go with you, says Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him into the ground with one thrust of the spear. I will, strike him. I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. So David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. Fascinating. The Lord put them into a deep sleep. You see, here we have another opportunity, another circumstance that has come. A temptation for David to take King Saul's life. And, so, and David recognizes that, again, he must trust God for God's timing in this. David is very clear to Abishai that is, now is not the time. I am not the person to take King Saul's life. Again, a place of humility and not of pride. Someone who takes a place of trust in God recognizes that they must trust in God for his timing. His friend Saul today was the day, but obviously David was waiting upon God's approval of the right time. Someone who takes trust in God knows that God is the one who controls the future, not them. They realize that they don't control the outcome of the battle, but God controls the outcome of the battle. They realize that they're not actually the ones fighting the battle, but that God is the one who's fighting the battle for them. This is the virtue of someone who is entrusting in God as we see David's life. A life that says, God, I will wait for you, which took great patience on David's part. After he was being hunted down, after he had been anointed by God to be the king and wondering, what is going on here, God? And yet fully understanding and trusting in God that it was in him to take Saul's life. Reminds me of the time where Abraham prayed and prayed for a son. And he finally is given a son, and then God says, I want you to sacrifice your son. The one that I said that I would promise to make you a father of many nations, I want you to take him up to the mountain and sacrifice him. And Abraham, by faith, went forward and put his son up on that altar and took out the knife, trusting that God would either raise him to life or provide something in place of his son Isaac. Trust in God is important. 
I want to share this uh, reading from Oswald Chambers about trusting in God and using and understanding that God's timing is the perfect timing and trusting in God and waiting upon him for God's timing. It says, every God-given vision will become real if we only have patience. Just think of the enormous amount of free time God has. He is never in a hurry, yet we are always in such a frantic hurry. While still in light of the glory of the vision, we go right out to do things, but the vision is not yet real in us. You see, David had a vision. God had given a vision that you will be king someday, but yet it was not time yet. Going on in the quote here, it says, God, is, God has to take us into the valley and put us through the fires and floods to batter us into shape until we get to the point where he can trust us with the reality of the vision. See, David was being battered into a place where God could trust him to be king of his people. Ever since God gave us the vision, he has, sent, he has been at work. He's working in David's life right now in the cave and being pursued by Saul. He is getting, up, getting us into the shape of the goal he has for us. And yet over and over again, we try to escape from the sculptor's hand in an effort to batter ourselves into the shape of our own goal. You see, trusting in God means submitting to God's timing, submitting to God's perfect plan in our lives. He may give us a vision, but yet we must wait upon him for the fulfillment of that vision. And God often cannot fulfill that vision until he sanctified us and brought us to that valley where he can use us and complete us. Remember in James it says, consider all trials of various kinds joy so that that trials can do its work in you to create perseverance. And let perseverance do its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking nothing. It's a passive tense there. Let perseverance do its work in you. Our job is to persevere, to hold on tight in the midst of the trials, to not give up. And in that process of trusting in God, he's doing a work in us. We're not doing it. He's doing it in us. And we must trust in him and allow him to do that work in us in the midst of the trials. Fourth virtue that we see here is a love for your enemies. Now it's getting even rougher. Rougher. We see David here continuing to show mercy and to show love towards an enemy. And verse 13. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on top of the hill some distance away. There was a wide space between them. He called out to the army and to the Abner son of Ner. Aren't you going to answer me, Abner? Abner replied, Who are you who calls to the king? David said, You're a man, aren't you? And who is like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard your lord the king? Someone came to destroy your lord the king. What you have done is not good. As surely as the Lord lives, you and your men must die because you did not guard your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around you. Where are the king's spear and where water jug that were near his head? Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is that your voice, David, my son? David replied, Yes, it is, my lord, the king. And he added, Why is my lord pursuing a servant? What have I done and what's wrong am I guilty of? 
Now let my Lord the king listen to his servant's words. If the Lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If, however, people have done it, may they, be, may they be cursed before the Lord. They have driven me today from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, Go, serve other gods. Now do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will try not I will try to harm you. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. Here is the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men and come over and get it. The Lord rewards everyone for the righteous and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord's value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way, and Saul returned home. Verse 24 again, As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. David valued the man who was trying to kill, you, kill him. He valued his life to the point where he did not take it. And he confronted his enemy. He confronted David in a way with respect to say, why are you chasing after me? What have I done wrong? And if the Lord has sent you, then show me where I've done wrong. What a radical love that we see here given towards Saul in this moment. And this is a radical love that Jesus calls us to as his followers to show to our enemies. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your enemy and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is impossible out of our own strength. This kind of love is impossible apart from God. These four virtues that we see evident in Paul and David's life are impossible to live. And maybe you're today you're thinking, I don't know how in the world I'm supposed to show love to my ex-wife or to my ex-husband or to my, this person at work that has unjustly treated me. How am I supposed to do that, Lord? How am I supposed to show love to someone in this relationship that things just kept going worse and worse and worse? Well, it's impossible to do without Jesus. And today I want to invite you to come to Jesus, to allow him to do a work in your soul, to change you to be able to show such a radical love as loving your enemies. A love that's far outside of the world's understanding. This is not how the world thinks. This is not how the world acts. They cannot comprehend such a love as this. And yet this is what God did for his enemies. God sent his one and only son, Jesus, on behalf of his enemies to save them for that. And this kind of love is a love that transforms lives. In uh, Hawaii, there's this great place called the Hanamal Bay. And it's known as uh, one of the best snorkeling areas in Hawaii. 
And you can go, it's a, it's a national, it's a state park, you can go in there. And as you can see, there's, a, there's great coral down there in, under the clear, crystal clear water. But then the, the waves crash uh, right at the edge, as you can see there, of the coral reefs. But it's an awesome opportunity to go and to be able to swim uh, in that. And, and I had the wonderful privilege uh, of being there several years ago to go snorkeling. And I was with my best friend, who, by the way, paid for it. What a great friend, right? Um, and uh, we, we went down to this uh, snorkeling park, and we were uh, snorkeling around. But it got very, very crowded in the shallow parts because it was easy. It was very calm. Uh, but we said, hey, let's go way past the people. Let's go out past the reef, and let's swim out there where there's nobody out there, okay? We won't run into people. We'll be able to swim and snorkel and see the beauty of the fish. And so we did. We swam all the way out there at the far end, and we began to swim. And those waves started crashing in on us and crashing and crashing. And I was like, I don't know if I could keep going like this because we were way out there, and the waves were, like, crashing. And I know those of you who have been out in the ocean, you, you know that experience when all of a sudden you begin to get very tired, and the ocean is this wild beast that takes over. And we, we were at a point where, like, we just had to dive down deep we would dive down deep, and all of a sudden, the crashing of the waves would go away. And we were able to see an amazing fish, and the water was so calm and peaceful down deep. But we were snorkeling. We weren't scuba diving, so we had to come back up, right? But as we would dive deep down beyond the crashing of the waves, that was a place of complete solitude and seeing those fish swim around. And it was beautiful. And I believe that God oftentimes wants us to leave the crashing of the waves in the midst of, the, of our life as we are going through hard circumstances. And let's be honest, life on earth is hard, this side of heaven. And God is using the crashing of the waves, but he wants to call us down to that place of depth, of solitude, and to experience Jesus in new ways. Ways that allow us to live out the virtues of mercy and humility and trust and love for our enemies. He's calling us to ourselves to come away, to get rest, so that he can do a work in our souls for him. And it's only in those places where we experience Jesus to allow him to transform us that we can live out um, a heart of success as David did. And so today I invite you today to come to Jesus to a place where he can do a work in your soul. To sit at his feet and confess your sins before him. Acknowledge that you can't do this without him. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you acknowledging that we are weak. Lord, we're people at times that feel as though we're having to hide out in a cave from our enemies, that we're being unjustly treated by people in the world, by even maybe our friends and loved ones. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to confess our pride, con confess our desires to take revenge, our, our desires to take things into our own control, not trust you for your perfect timing. 
And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would begin to transform our hearts. That our hearts would be cultivated, Lord, for you. And we acknowledge, Lord, that this has to be your work in our lives. And so we pray, God, that you would, Lord, use these trials in our lives to allow us to persevere, to allow it to do its work in us so that we may be, be pure and complete, not lacking in anything. Lord, I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.